If you're asking dad, what does he want for Father's Day? You might get lots of answers. One of them you might get is, I just want some peace and quiet. Well, today, if you were to ask the world what they want, you know what they would say in, in the United States? Most people would say, we just want peace. We want peace. If there was a question I had for you today, it would be this. Why are you here? So some of you maybe have been gone for a while, and things are kind of different, so we're, we're at church, but why are you here? Good question to ask yourself. Why do you go to church? Because when you tell people at work, some of the people at work, that you go to church, in the back of their mind, you know what they're thinking? Why does he do that? Why does she do that? What would it compel someone to get up early, to get all their kids ready, go to church, miss all that great sleep or whatever it is? Why do you go to church? So as we look today at why do you go to church, I would ask you the, this question, what compels you to go to church? And then maybe some, some insights uh, into what other people have said. What do you think other people might say why they don't go to church? Okay, so this is the people who don't go to church. What are the reasons? You, maybe you've asked them before. Maybe you just heard them kind of underneath their breath. Well, I wouldn't go to church because of this. Was that? Oh, Mike. Okay, this is, this is my first throw. Oh, look out, look out. Good job, Ravens. <laughs> They're very athletic, and that paid off. Good. Thank you. Got safety. Okay. All right. I don't need any more rules. I don't like being judged. Who said that? Sure, you'd be in the back row, okay? <laughs> Elizabeth, if you can help out in any way, maybe? No? Okay. It's just gonna, there's going to be rollers today. So I don't want to be judged. I don't need any more rules. Anything else? It's just not for me. That one you can't argue with, can you? You're like, well, we don't have any rules. But then when they say that, it's kind of tough to, to do it. Willow Creek did a... What's that? I've got better things to do, like probably sleep or go fish or whatever it is. Willow Creek did a door-to-door survey of why people don't go to church. And here are the top five reasons. Woo, leave that alone. Number one, it's boring, okay? Don't anybody say anything, okay? It's boring. <laughs> it's irrelevant. So it's boring, it's irrelevant. Number three, they ask for money all the time. They ask for money all the time. Legitimate, probably, if you take kind of the average of churches. I'm too busy already, which is I've got better things to do, for sure. And I feel awkward at church. Is that true? Do people feel awkward at church? I hope not. We hope not. And I, yes. <laughs> Someone puts a microphone in you, and that gets more awkward or brings you up front. So there's some reasons why people don't want to go to church, and they're legitimate to some degree, but sometimes they're just an excuse, and, and we know that, and we understand that, and sometimes we have other excuses such as, we want to sleep in, we don't need to go to church to worship God. Have you heard that one before? It's kind of related to the fourth one, I'm spiritual, but I don't need to go to church, kind of same thing, and they usually have another place that they like to worship God, which is kind of like their first choice to go, which is the mountain, probably in, in Sheridan for sure. Or there's too many hypocrites at church, which is what? It would be categorically correct because <laughs> we, we, definitely are, we, we definitely put on, there is some hypocrite going on there. There's a little mask wearing there for sure, um, no question about it. Sometimes you don't feel like going to church. 
Sometimes you don't feel like going to small group. Okay, this is just a plug for small group too as well. So you're thinking to yourself, I don't want to go to small group. I've got better things to do, like go home and just kind of veg or whatever it is. But you go to small group, and then those of you who have been here at small group, what happens at small group? At the end of the night, you do what? You say to, you, to yourself, wow, I'm glad I went to small group. Sometimes you go to church in the morning, and you don't want to go to church, but what happens by the time that you get home from church? You think to yourself, I'm glad I went to church. Why is that? I feel better. better. You do feel better, don't you? God has made us in certain ways, in certain functions, and the way that we kind of relate with him to have a time when we worship together. And that is absolutely necessary for our well-being. See, we think we know what's best for us. I got better things to do. This would fulfill me more than going to church or small group. And then when we do the things that God tells us to do in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, what happens? He fills us with what he designed to fill us with. And it's almost like he's writing the prescription now. I've got the prescription, and I know what to give you, rather than you just making up your own herbal recipe for what you think is going to make you happy or more fulfilled. And so you're just taking God's prescription when you come to church because he knows it's what fills your tank. It gives you a sense in which nothing else can. Psalm 122, I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together, together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord to praise the name of the Lord, According to the statute given to Israel, there stand the thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. That's Psalm 122. As we've been going through the Psalms, we recognize that these are Psalms written, and they were written specifically for this voyage to Jerusalem as as pilgrims would go to this place to worship in Jerusalem. And Psalm 122, if you were just going to pick one word, it would be peace. And if you had to pick two words, it would be peace and joy. And keep your mind attached to those two things because they're pretty important, especially as we look at the very first one, which is joy. I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. So someone says, hey, let's go to church. And you, you either have one or two reactions. Well, possibly some others. You either don't want to go to church or you're excited about going to church. And sometimes you're, you, maybe you're just a little bit tired or whatever it is, and you don't want to go to church. But when you do, as we said before, a lot of times what you actually are prescribed to do is what you need to do most of all. And so as they were going up to the house of the Lord to Jerusalem, they would be singing these songs and joyous songs because they were coming from many different uh, villages. So this, Jerusalem was a gathering place, and there was three main festivals every year. So three times a year, these people would come from Ranchester and from Sydney, Montana, and they'd be from a long, long ways away, and they would gather in Jerusalem. And they're very different people because they're from very different places. And so as they came up, they would be singing these 
songs, and the psalms, they would, would be memorized, and so they would sing them as they went along. It says, our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Now they've what? They've actually arrived. So it, it, the famous saying from the back seat of a car from the kids is what when you're on a, on a trip? Are we there yet? Or how much longer is there? We're there. We are now in Jerusalem. We have now set foot in Jerusalem. We are now at our destination. And Luke 10, 21 says this about joy. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to, to describe through the Holy Spirit how, this, how joy came about. When we come into the house of the Lord and we're, we're praising and we're worshiping, there's a joy that comes over us that is found maybe never, nowhere else probably in our, in, our, uh, in our week. It's a joy that comes from the Lord. And that joy is powered by the Holy Spirit. Now these people who came into Jerusalem, did they have the Holy Spirit with them? No, it was a different time, wasn't it? They did not have the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of them, according to Ephesians. They would go to the house of the Lord to be in the presence of what? Of the Lord. And you have this Ark of the Covenant, and you have this tabernacle, and you have the very presence of the Lord, and you're thinking to yourself, wow, you mean they had to travel to do that? Because we think of it as what? Just Every day we have the Lord with us and where we can pray and we can, we can have a relationship with him and the Lord is actually with us. Whereas they had to actually make this destination, they had to make this voyage to this powerful city that God had made uh, as a geographical location for lots of, lots of important things. It goes on. There is great praise in the house of the Lord. So a lot of times you think of praise and worship, don't you? And what is praise? I still have some Snickers here. As long as you don't answer from the back row, we're good. Praise. What is it? Acknowledgement. I heard acknowledgement. Who said it? Ah, acknowledgement. Somebody's pointing. <laughs> Bill, over there, over that way. Bill, it's acknowledgement of what, Bill? Of God. Of the fact that you love God. So there's a, there is a praise, uh, an acknowledgement. Oh, wow. To the right always acknowledgement of the fact that God exists and that not only is God existing, but he actually what? He cares about me and he loves me. And I have a relationship with him. And in this situation, what they're saying is Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. It means when they came in the gates, they were were just like, I am so glad to be here after that long voyage. And not only that, but as they looked around the city of Jerusalem, they saw that it was closely compacted together. The word is never, ever used again in the Bible, the, the, the word that's used here. And the word means that it's so close. It's kind of a word for friends. I almost think of it as twins. The word means almost like a twin, like they are so joined together, there's no separation as you look about the city. It's close. But it's not just talking about buildings. It's talking about how people from different backgrounds come together, villagers from from way down in wherever it is in Montana, and some people from Idaho, and they come together in this, this city. A half a million people would come to Jerusalem, and they would come from all different types of backgrounds, and they would together jointly together as they were praising the Lord, have the same, same worship. And so there was a unity that was there that was, that was found that is so, so important to not miss. Because if it's one thing that we want to understand today, and we look around our country, is this. Unity will never be found in anything other than the cross. 
there's no other place that could take people from different backgrounds, put them together in one place, and they actually are in uni unity with one another. It just won't happen. All of us have one thing in common, I pray. And that's if, it, if you're in Christ as well, that we have the cross in common. And that allows us to bring our offenses and, our, and the things that we have issues about and we judge this way and you judge that way and we're different about. And guess what happens? At the cross, they all get judged. And we all get to lay them down because every single offense that has happened, whether it was police brutality or whatever it is, gets judged at the cross. Every single one. And it allows us to come to a place where we say, oh, you know what? It is mine to avenge, says the Lord, not me and not you and not you. We lay that down and we say, you know what? Justice is only found right here. So Jerusalem was a place that was closely packed together. And the people who went there found a unity that you would not find in any other place. Very unique to that. Verse 4, that is where the tribes go. Again, these are tribes from different places. They speak even different dialects to some degree. The tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. And so as they are built together and they have this cross in, in common, and at that time it wasn't a cross that they were looking back on, it was a cross that they were looking forward to. And they would look forward to the house of David because who would come from the house of David? And who would come from the house of David? I only have one left. Who said that? Good, Mark. Jesus Christ. Thanks. <laughs> it's all communion. And everybody's helping each other. And we're built together. And just there it is right there. Hebrews 3.6 says this. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. And what makes up God's house? Is it bricks and stones and carpet that we all like, we all agree on? No, it's what? It's people. It's us. It's the people we Zoomed with for so long. And we realized, man, this is just not the way to do it. But yet it was the, the church meeting together in a very unique way. And we are his house. We are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and we hope in, which, in the hope in which we glory. God gathers people from all walks of life. He is, this is a non-denominational church. I get, this is, this is kind of after about 17 years, you start figuring things out. So people want to know what, what are you closely, what are you closest to if you're non-denominational? Okay, so this is what they use the conversation tilts towards. And the questions kind of just lead that direction. And my final answer is this. We are not a denomination because a denomination denotes what? Exactly. That's what denominator means. When you were in school, the denominator meant what? You were divided. You were divided by. And if you go, if you say you're non-denominational, but which one are you? You're asking the question that shouldn't be asked, which is: We believe in one God. One mediator who between us and God can actually establish a relationship. And we stick to the main things because there are so many things that could divide us. And if we start picking things out of the Bible and say, well, where do you stand on that part? I stand with whatever the original intention of God's Holy Spirit says this says. And in 10 years from now, if I get a more clarity on that, I still stand on the same answer, which is a vague answer for you and me. But guess what? I only got maybe 20 years left. And neither do you have many, many years left. And we could stand around and argue about these things for years and years and years. 
and would only create division. And the tribes were united, and that's the whole point. The whole point of it is there's unity. What an image of unity and yet diversity as they come into the house of the Lord and you realize this church as you come in. Some of you were, maybe you were raised like me, like a Catholic. Maybe you were raised, you were raised in a Methodist church. Maybe you were raised in no church at all. And we all come together and guess what? We actually get along. Why? Because we're not based on what we divides us. We're based on what connects us, which is the cross. We are all connected by this cross. It is actually a symbol of unity. You don't think of it that way, but this is what the world needs most of all, is not division, but unity. And Psalm 122 just speaks to that. It's just very, very clear. Jerusalem is a place of right judgment. Boy, there's a lot of judging going on. And you realize at some point in time, you just want some judge who will just judge the way it really is. How many of you want a fair judge? Well, most times you do. Okay. You know, if you're a kid and you broke something and you came to mom and dad, you probably don't want a fair judge, but you really do because you, the next time, you want it to be fair. There will be a day when there will be a right judge on the throne, and he will come from the house of David, and he will judge, and there will be no errors in his judgment. And there will be no worries about someone else having to say, well, what about this? That judgment will be very, very accurate, very, very clear. And we look forward to that time. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. So David, David through his lineage came Jesus. And Jesus is this kind of, he's got this throne that he has taken over David's throne. And this throne will last not just for a few years until it gets overthrown. It will last forever and ever and ever. And Isaiah 2 says this, He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. And hallelujah. And so everyone is going to be, there's just this judge that's going to come and it's going to be peace. There's going to be no war. There's not even going to be mechanics of war. There will be no, there will be no war whatsoever. And when there's peace in Jerusalem, guess what happens? Worship happens. And that's what they are looking forward to as we look to this, is there's this peace that they're pra- that's going to be prayed for and peace in Jerusalem because when there's peace, and Jerusalem doesn't have a lot of peace, when there's peace, they can worship the Lord uninterrupted. It is, a, it is a, an atmosphere in which worship happens. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who, who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. And so he's praying for this, this city to have peace and prosperity. And as you look at Jerusalem, you realize it. Uh, just, just think of this city. Jerusalem is such a special place. At the time that David wrote this psalm, and this is one of David's psalms, and there's only about three of them in this, in this psalm's ascent that are written by David. The time that he wrote this song, the, the temple, the temple that we think of, wasn't even built. Who built the temple? I'm out of snickers. Solomon did. And that was David's what? His son, David couldn't build it, warrior, etc. He couldn't build it. And yet he talks about this temple. And yet if the temple was actually not, not built, it was, it was the actual Ark of the Covenant existed where? Inside of a, an elaborate tent. 
And yet you see him writing about this, and it's almost prophetic that he's looking forward to something that he hasn't even seen yet. And part of it's at the current time, and part of it's looking forward to the millennial kingdom. But you can just see that God is writing through him as he, as he expresses how important Jerusalem is. And how many times did, Ju- did Jesus as a kid go to Jerusalem? How many times a year did he go to Jerusalem as a kid? How many times did he sing the Psalms of Ascent going to Jerusalem as a kid? Every year, three times. Because he was a Jewish boy who went where? To Jerusalem. They all did. It was where they met for the big festivals. And these are the songs that they would sing. And they would sing this psalm. And he's he's singing about himself, isn't he? And there will be peace. And there will be through David and through the thrones of David. There will be this perfect judge. And you realize, wow, Jesus could see it all along. And he was just walking beside people who he would go to the cross for. His his friends, your friends, my friends. But Jesus would go there. And you recognize Jerusalem is a port city of eternity because that's where something very significant took place. And what was that? God decided to intersect humankind. He sent his very son to live 33 years and then to die in a very special city, which was called Jerusalem. And outside of Jerusalem, you recognize that this is just really a special, it's called Zion, another word for, it wasn't even called Jerusalem in those days. It was the city of David. If you were going to ask, where are you going to go to worship? I'm going to the city of David. They would not use the word Jerusalem at that time. That was not the common name. Jerusalem, salam means what? Shalom means what? Peace. That's what it's about. And what's the title of this Psalm 122? Peace. And so Jerusalem is where the Son of God was crucified. And it's not only where he was crucified, but long before that, 1,500 years before that, Abraham and his son went up on a hill. And that hill was called what? Mount Moriah? And you realize, oh, and when, when, when the, this astute son said to his dad, hey, we got the wood, we got everything, but we're missing what? We're missing the sacrifice. What did his dad say? God will provide what? The lamb. And as they got up to this place of sacrifice, there was this moment where Abraham was going to sacrifice his son, but instead of sacrificing his son, God provided a what? A ram in the thicket. Not necessarily a lamb, a little lamb, but a ram. And yet, when you hear Abraham saying to his son, God will provide this sacrifice to him, he's almost looking forward beyond this initial point where he's going to have to take this ram out of the thicket, but looking to a time when Jesus would walk into the city of Jerusalem and he would start weeping. Why? Because he said what? You did not know what would bring you. The key word is, starts with a P, and it's the title of this message, Peace. You did not know what would bring you peace. And as he's going into Jerusalem, he can just, you can see that they're, they're picking out those sacrificial lambs at that very, very time because this Passover is coming. And, and the Passover is all about bringing your lamb and putting your hand on the head and saying, my sins are going onto this, onto this lamb and this whole passing of our sins onto the cross. And Jesus could see it all. And you can see it in Psalm 122 very clearly. Jerusalem is the port city of eternity. Each person has to put their hand on the lamb 
And it may look like a cross, but it's the lamb that they're putting it on. And as you see this port city, we recognize the importance of how God just made it so necessary for his son to come and die for us. Pray for peace, peace with God of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Do you have peace with God this morning? I'm just asking you a rhetorical question. Do you have peace with God? If you have the Son and you've received Jesus as your Lord, your Savior, He's the one who you're trusting in for your relationship with the Lord and to take your sins, you have peace with God. It isn't about having this conversation with God. Yeah, I have peace with you. I'm at the hospital a lot. I hear this. I'm at peace. And the question in my mind is, is at peace with what? With your own terms or with what God has so generously provided through grace this provision, to be able to just put your hand on that lamb and go, I cannot do this on my own. You take my sins upon you. John 4, 22, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for the salvation is from the Jews. And this conversation goes on to say, well, where should we worship? It should be Mount Gerat, or should it be, should it be in Jerusalem? And, and, and Jesus answers, he says, there will be a time where we will worship, but we will worship in truth. Spirit and truth. And so it's not the geographical location, although God chose Jerusalem. And that's why it's special. And that's why it's holy. But Jerusalem at some point in time is no longer going to exist. And do you know when that's going to happen? When there's a new Jerusalem that we get to look forward to. And the restoration of Jerusalem will happen. Isaiah 2. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. This is a picture of Psalm 120. It's a picture of the Psalm of Exodus. All these people are streaming up to Jerusalem. And they're streaming there to, to, have a, to be in, pre, in the presence of God. And then Micah 4.1 says the exact same thing. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and the peoples will stream to it. There is a time in the future, and then Jerusalem, where people will be streaming to it because there will be Jesus. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of God, the God of Jacob. He will teach us his way so that we may walk in his, way, his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. Do you know how big the new Jerusalem is? Like how size, like give me miles. Anybody have an, kind of an idea what that looks like? Pretty close, 1,400. About 1,400, think of 1,000 and you're real close. 1,000 miles. How long does it take you to drive 1,000 miles? At speed limits that are actually within the law, okay? Okay, well, quick, quick math gives you what? Oh, it's going to take a while, isn't it? And you, you've traveled some roads, haven't you? And some rails, too, as well. And you realize that is a humongous place. And my, what Mike said is it's, a, it's 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles by what? 1,400 miles, and you realize, this is a big place. It's a huge place, and there'll be streaming of people, and there's just this idea that you get in your head, and you go, wow, you mean it's going to be that big? I kind of always pictured it as 
you know, like, you know, kind of compacted together and, and there's just, like, you're all kind of just standing shoulder to shoulder, kind of like you are right now, which is a blessing because we're not six feet apart. Um, maybe you are, but you realize that that big city is going to be, it's going to be huge. And the fact that we don't have to farms and that sort of thing in order to get food and those types of things, amazing. He goes on. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation. There will be peace. Nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord, as Isaiah speaks. In this new Jerusalem, what will we do there? And what will we get to look forward to as we sing this psalm as we're going to Jerusalem? And we arrive, and we arrive, and we're like, oh, I'm so glad we're here. And we look around, and we see this amazing city, and we realize that this is just a city that is going to be a model of something that's much, much more wonderful. We read, read Revelations 21, which is about the new Jerusalem. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And our response to that is joy and peace. When you come to the house of the Lord, when you come and we are allowed to now celebrate together in a more normal way than we were before, we realize there's a sense of joy with that. In Romans 15, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we come together, we rather we, we gather, we recognize that it's because of Jesus that we gather because it's what unifies us. The cross unifies. Me and Bill and I have lots of things in common, but the most common thing that we have is the cross. That's how I met him, and that's how our, our relationship goes. And our relationships with other believers are established on that cross. And that gives us joy as we come into the house of the Lord because we can celebrate with one another. And this is a picture of what we're going to do for eternity. And a lot of you are like, oh, no, we're going to sing for eternity. Oh, my goodness. This is the best, best worship you have ever experienced here on earth is going to be just a smidgen, a very small smidgen of what it's going to be like when you are in the presence of Jesus as King in the new Jerusalem, and we are worshiping him. It will be just a smidgen. And I watch people as they're worshiping, and you watch people when they're worshiping, and there's this transformation from when the time they come in, and, and they're just kind of standing there, and you can kind of tell maybe, you know, that they didn't want to go to church. And then by, you know, the end of the first song, you can kind of see them tapping their foot, and then they're starting to sing a little bit. And then you can see by the time, maybe by the time that we get done with the third song, you can just see a peace come about them. Not always, but mostly. And that's just a smidgen of what it's going to be like. Just a smidgen. We need to look forward to so much more. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this psalm. Thank you for Jerusalem. Just a picture of what the eternal Jerusalem is going to look like. Thank you for peace and for joy and being able to come into the house of the Lord and to be able to worship you and not, not 
be able to, to have to travel miles and miles and miles to be with you, but that because of your Holy Spirit, we, we actually have your Holy Spirit inside of us and that we have communion with you because of the cross. Thank you for the unity that that cross brings. I pray for healing for our nation, that there, without the cross, there can be no peace. I pray for an, just an outpouring of your Holy Spirit to reach into the hearts of so much hatred and so much disillusionment about what brings us peace, that you would touch our nation, that we would not just come to a point of peace, but that we would come to a point of peace with you, that many would come to know you, would be saved. God, as we leave this house, the house of the Lord, just a place for us to gravel, to, to gather, the kirka, not the ecclesia, but the kirka, that we would leave this with a sense of joy, that we had been with you and with your people. Thank you for the ability to get together with others, that it encourages, it fills that special place in our soul that is made specifically by you to be with others. Help us to commune with you. And Lord, we pray for Jerusalem right now. We pray for the, the city of Jerusalem, the country of Israel, but we pray for your new Jerusalem, the one that's going to be inhabited by many, many currently Arabs who, are, who maybe don't even know you. Currently, people who are in places who are in third world countries who, who maybe are in our, in, on our reservation just north of us that don't know you now, but we will know them in eternity. We pray for their souls. We pray that they would come to know you through the power of the Holy Spirit. So thank you for this time to worship. As we sing this last song, help us to worship in spirit and truth that we worship you with open hands and just a recognition of what you've done for us. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.